Today on the show, we're making a case for renting. Welcome to Simple Money Solutions Podcast, your path to financial independence through deliberate lifestyle choices. My name's Courtney. I'm joined with Mike and Trevor. And today, the three of us are making a case for why renting should even be maybe a possibility. So what is today's topic about anyway? Is it is it renting or is it like we did renting versus buy? So are we gonna f- we're gonna focus more on renting than like the comparison between the two? Well, I, I think I think we need to create the controversy between renting and buying because that's that's really the the dilemma everybody's faced with, right? I mean, but I don't want to come into this episode and lay down the law of, of, of which one we think is right or wrong. I'm I'm super well, biased well, towards renting right now, so I, I could just talk about renting all day. How about making a case for renting? Okay, okay. Yeah, I, I, like I like that. that. Yeah, yeah. Okay. 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 And in and, and an effort to make a case for renting, we're going to have to talk about alternatives, right? Yeah. You know, because okay. if you're making a case for renting, you're you're not making a case for something else, which would be home yeah, buying. Okay. So so we're creating like a in some ways we're going to create a bias. We're on the side of renters for this episode. Like like we're we're purely and, pro renters here. We're not promoting like you know how like you well, know how in the book um. Um, we read the wealthy renter. They like the guys. Like I'm not going to bash home ownership. We're just going to promote um, home. Like we're we're just going to show you the good sides of renting. So are are we coming from the angle here that we're we're promoting uh, home ownership, or sorry, just promoting renting? And like or are, like are we going to try to stay unbiased towards the two? Well, I'm going to say there is some benefits to owning a home without question. There there is some benefits, and and, and they're not going to be. Uh, to to a young person, they're not going to seem obvious, but there there is some benefits to owning. But I'm going to say, from a homeowner's perspective, you know that that train leaves the station, and then all of a sudden you need to reevaluate. and And the problem is most people don't. So I'm I'm pro renting, and and pro homeowning at certain phases of your life. But but I'm going to be on the pro renting side because I I'm moving to a phase of my life where renting might make more sense. Okay, that's fair. So. Yeah. To do something on on the benefits of renting or you know making a case for renting, we need some sort of talking points. And I, I'm going to say the first one is you know why not why don't we just know, lay down some of the pros to uh, to renting? Okay, and I'm going to say the first one that really comes to my mind. And I wish I would have rented longer. I wish I would have rented longer because I would have expanded my career growth and my culture growth. Because I would not have been tied to it. I've lived in the same area of Ontario my entire life. And part of that is because my parents owned a home and didn't have the mobility. And then I owned a home and didn't have the mobility. Had I rented longer, I may, I may have viewed you know, where I could live with a whole different perspective. But but Trevor, are you only saying that because of hindsight? I mean, what 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 about those people who have the itch to own a home? I mean, you have hindsight behind well, you. You know what? Like as someone young, I think it's kind of neat. Like to your point, that it, it'd be cool to just be able to, you know, like if if my job one day said, like my boss said, like, hey, we need you out on the west, you know, the out on the west coast working. I think that'd be pretty cool just to like be like, okay, let's go, and like I give my my landlord two months notice and I I, I leave. That'd be awesome. So here's a, I ran into somebody at the grocery store last night and she had a daughter who finished university in a particular discipline and all her friends in an unrelated, you know, none of them were in hospitality, I'll say. that. And so they went out to Whistler to live in sort of a, a cabin all together 
and work at a resort. And they did that for a year. And that was only possible for that person because they, they didn't, you know, it was kind of like uh, sort of a cross between taking a year off and traveling and taking a year off and working in, in a hospitality environment. They had a chance to do that. But had they got out of school and bought a house, that, that would have not been on the table. I just I feel like the idea of buying a home, especially in today's society with 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 home prices crazy crazy high. I feel like it's almost unrealistic, though. I mean, Trevor and Mike, even do you guys are are you guys seeing or hearing of people buying homes so early? Because I know I'm not. I, I've worked I worked with a girl. She's actually moved on to another job, but she was in her I'll say early twenties, bought a house uh, at. Not in one of Canada's most expensive cities, but in the province of Ontario, which the whole province is is kind of expensive compared to say other parts of the country. And she bought a house, and she's she basically signed up for a, a half million dollar mortgage. You know that that, that that's that's great. A half million. That's going to be crippling. Like at, like how old did you say the person was? In their, I'll say, early to mid twenties. Yeah. So then you're looking at the rest of your career, saying, "I I got to carry that that." burden of that mortgage that's a lot now you're you're going to start working treating your job differently because of that like that's that's crippling well you know i was gonna so it's it's i think it's impossible to not bash some forms of home ownership while promoting renting i mean i, I don't think you can do it i i there's a couple of things i just want to get off my chest about home ownership and so sorry i'm, re- I'm just pulling so the soapbox out right now okay <laughs> are, you, are you standing on it so i, I want to say for first the the this whole episode was predicated on a book me and mike both read called the wealthy renter by alex avery would you agree mike that's sort of the the jettison of this episode yeah like i i read it recently like just over the christmas uh, uh holidays and uh it was just eye-opening i i had always been kind of a fan of renting and i knew as a young person i was going to keep renting but like uh talking to trevor about it uh he, he always kind of sensed a bit of a hesitation uh, I, I almost like I shouldn't be doing that. So he said, give this book a read. And uh, it was really eye opening about it. Yeah, like our society wants you to feel bad about renting. That That's the first thing. And they are, our, our society wants you to think that in order to the rite of passage into adulthood is home ownership. That would you agree? That's the mentality out there right now. Yeah, yeah I would agree. Like I, I know people, um, uh, like my coworkers and they're a few years older than me and and they're they're putting insane amount of money into these things and you can tell that's kind of their mentality is is that they, they want to grow up they want to own a house and my my real question is when did renting become so stigmatized when did taking public transportation get become so stigmatized or has it always been that way no here's what's happened so back when i was getting the homeownership when interest rates were where i'll say really high like when I first got into to a home, interest rates were around 13, 12% for a mortgage. And the cost of carrying a mortgage was just out of reach for a lot of people. They just, they couldn't afford the carrying cost being the, the interest and principal and taxes. So renting was actually cheaper. So people, uh, people with good paying jobs rented because they could not afford the carrying cost of, of a home. Aren't we kind of that way again now? Well, like, no. Now, now interest rates are so low, and in the now they're starting to tighten things up. But the down payment five percent. I mean, it's e- like you don't have to work too hard to save up five percent of a down payment for a house. 
So the but getting, I, I mean the price of those mortgages you're, you're paying. Like, is it not the same thing, or it, it's almost a question of can you afford it? Like, people are spreading these mortgages over fifty years. And well, stuff. that's just it. If you spread it over a long enough period of time, anybody can afford it. So, the, but can they really afford it? Because they're not going to pay it off in their lifetime. No, no, they they can afford the. the you're right. They can't afford to own the home, but they can afford to make the payments, and. The problem is that homeownership used to be this exclusive club. There was a time when you needed 25% down. Now you need five. Actually, I think they tightened it up to 10. But there used to be this exclusive club. And people still have that mentality that homeownership is this this exclusive club of, of just the wealthy. So it's almost people buy homes as a status, saying, look, I can afford to own a home. But right now, if you can spread it over 40 years, anybody, not anybody, but almost anybody can afford to, to live in a home and, and make mortgage payments. Owning it is a whole other thing. That happens 25 or 30 years into the but, future. But Trevor, what if what if that home ownership is more important than how many years that mortgage is spread over? Like what if what if an individual's priorities are are different than your what you what you how you feel about it? This is then it's all about ego, right? It's not about a place to live. It's not about a home. It's not about an investment. It's about ego. Then then you're doing it for the wrong reason. But the status, yeah. Let's dive back into the thing. I thought it was interesting. You said people spread their mortgages over 40, 50 years. So they, they don't Actually, own I, I don't it think you can point. do 50. I don't think okay. you can do a 50. Okay. What's the biggest one? I, I, I think I don't 40, have a 40, 40 years. Mortgage? For, okay, let's 40, say 40, yeah. okay? Either way, just astronomically long. What's uh like like so you said like at that point you're not owning the house so is that in t- in some ways it, we're we're not just renting at that point right like you're technically speaking you're paying that mortgage consistently well, so you're you're renting there or you're renting like you're you're paying renting to a landlord so, uh, either exactly. rent to the bank when you borrow when you borrow money you're renting money to buy a house so in essence you're renting so you're right Mike forty years are you really are you gonna are you really owning it or you're just renting the money to live there. Rather than paying rent to a landlord, you're paying rent for this money you've used to acquire the, or to live in this house. And yeah, it's, you're, it's, you're just paying rent for a different thing, like a different commodity. Yeah. yeah exactly. I, I just think, I agree with you there, Mike. We're kind of just disillusioned by the concept of home ownership that we're kind of losing track of, 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 what, of what we're actually putting into it to get there. You know, I, w- I want to just draw our listeners to uh, a book. And this is a book I'm going to recommend both of you read. And I've read it. It's called... The Simple Path to Wealth by Jim Collins. It's it's a really short read. It it is it's as eye opening as the wealthy renter. And it at the end of the book, so the guy talks about building wealth and and becoming financially independent. In the very last couple of pages of the book, he says, "Home ownership is kind of the title," and it says, "It's a very expensive indulgence." So here's a guy who wrote a book called The Simple Path to Wealth. And anybody in the personal finance space, particularly financial independence, knows Jim Collins. He's, he's highly respected. And his thoughts on home ownership is it's, it's a lifestyle expense. Owning a home, people generally buy more house than they need. They generally have you know fancier things in the house than, than utility would require, like a kitchen with granite countertops. doesn't make food any better than a kitchen with laminate ground, countertops. So house home ownership tends to be a very expensive indulgence and it, that's okay just know you've made a lifestyle decision it's like buying a lexus a, a honda will get you there a lexus will get you there just as well but in, in a lot more luxuriously and you know why I, th- I think we might justify buying an astronomically priced house it's almost like the way we think about food we need food so 
why not spend money on food? We need quote unquote uh, an, a home. We need to live in a home. So so why put a price tag on? I think I think we can equate because one's safety, one's food. I, I, glancing from afar with your eyes squinted closed, they kind of look like the same thing. Okay, so we've been bashing homeownership. Let, let's get back on the the benefits of, of renting train that Mike Mike had suggested we go down. Let's talk about okay. So like, go back. Let's go back to that. Um, um, like I was saying with like renting. Okay, so like you're either paying rent on your money or you're paying um rent for like like your your house to your landlord. So let's look at that farther. The whole idea that you got a fixed expense right for your um your your rent right. Like I, I pay x amount of dollars each month and with that it gives me the access to the house it gives me maintenance covered and all that stuff you know you're you're you don't have to worry about property taxes and stuff like that so like all those things are covered and it, it, you never have to worry about it fluctuating like if your house breaks it's covered so what you end up with is a very predictable expenses you know for your living right yeah like you're basically the landlord is then stuck having to worry about those those unfixed costs and stuff. If your furnace breaks, he's he's the one having to worry about covering that cost. And I can't help myself, but with home ownership, you end up with what I call lumpy expenses, meaning they come in in, in large amounts in, in somewhat unpredictable patterns, like a roof, a furnace. You can somewhat... When's, when's your furnace going to break, Trevor, in your house that you own? You know what? I, I Here's the thing. Here's a good question. I put a furnace... So I bought the house, had a furnace in it, of course, and my air conditioner broke, and I got a deal with a furnace, a furnace and an air conditioner at the same time. They were offering some sort of tax rebate or something. So I, I went for that. But now I'm learning that, you know, an old older furnaces, you know, they would last 20, 25 years. I'm, I'm hearing from people that these new modern high-efficiency furnaces have a much shorter life. But so I don't know how long it's going to last. Yeah. I, normally I would have said, okay, I'm good for another 25 years, but apparently not. You know, these things have a shorter shelf life because they have to work harder and they have more technology in them. And so yeah, like, it's not like it's, it's uh, on the calendar saying furnace is going to break October 2018 and like you can put it in your budget. Like you don't know when it's coming. So but my like, point is, even if I've replaced one, it's predictability in terms of a future expense is still unknown, right? I don't know. A roof is one thing you can see the, the shingles start to curl up and you can kind of, but there's a lot of things in the house where you can't see the deterioration until it's too, until it's, it's done. Right. So like a fridge, again, when you rent a place, it comes with appliances. So I consider uh home ownership, an expense to home ownership is appliances. So a fridge, they generally don't give you any hint when they're going to die, right? They just start acting up, and next thing you know, your food's going bad. These lumpy expenses associated with home ownership make it very difficult to to to, to make financial plans. So, I, to your point, Mike, that was a long way of me saying I agree with you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I agree so. with that. That is a huge benefit of renting is these predictable expenses. Another thing I, I always like about renting, like, because we're talking about how you, you get up and you, you move. And I know for me, being younger, uh, I got a bunch of roommates. And it seems like every, every two years or so, we get bored of living in the place we are. And we always want to look for a new place. Like, something changes in our living situation. And I always think it's really cool how whenever we want to move, we always end up getting rid of a bunch of stuff. And it's like uh, Josh and Ryan talk about the packing party. But, like, you're still living in the same place. 
Uh, but you get rid of all that, like you put it all in the boxes and you take out just what you need and whatever's left in the boxes, you know, you don't need. So in some ways it's like a packing party, but you're actually getting a new place. So like you're, you're going through all your stuff, you're packing up and you're saying, do I really need this stuff? And you get rid of it. I think that's pretty cool as well about renting is it, it keeps like, how much junk have you collected over the 20 years you oh, lived in your house, Trevor? You like, wouldn't believe that, 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 so I may have told this on the podcast before, but my house has this crawl space and in my house, there's this rule that. For something to leave my house, it has to pass through this incredibly uh, difficult <laughs> crawl space to get to. Because what we do is we, we find something that has no more use. And we said, where are we going to put it? Well, let's just throw it in the crawl space till we'll, we'll decide someday in the future. And then before you know it, the crawl space is blown. We have to empty that into the garage and then take it to the dump. So it's and just, for whatever it, reason, the crawl space is the farthest from the front door. It, it is. <laughs> and, and if you have to, ma- you know, if, if an alien were to come down and sort of map out how my stuff moves... It would, it would appear insane, but you're right. With a house, you tend to accumulate stuff and it's, it's because you just don't move. And the, one of the reasons you don't move is the, again, I'm going to go down this train. I can't help myself is the transaction costs of home of buying and selling a house are astronomical and, and there's hidden expenses on top of hidden expenses. You got real estate commission, legal fees, land transfer tax, moving. Okay. The moving costs are the same, but, uh, it, it is very expensive to buy and sell. And that's why people tend to stay in houses for a long time. But you know, your point, Mike, when you get to move, sometimes, you know, in a, I lived in the same place for now for 20 years. And this, this place has problems. Like, you know, some of the neighbors come and go, but in the street might be a little noisier than I like. And those things tend to wear you down over time. And sometimes a change, even though you know you're going to get a different set of problems in a new place you rent or buy just different problems sometimes are 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 better than you know fighting the same problems over and over and over so i agree with you moving with some frequency has a lot of benefits and and where the soapbox follows me all over the place (laughs) one other thing about moving is is when you don't move for 20 years the thought of moving is very daunting it's a lot of effort yeah yeah you know, and, and you well, just, you have so much stuff. That's well, why not, not only that, even if I got rid of a bunch of stuff, the thought of moving when I haven't done it for 20 years, it, it just seems like a, this black hole of unknowns and how is this going to work out? And cause I haven't done it in like forever. Whereas if you move with some frequency, moving just becomes easier to do in the future. So, so Trevor, I'm not sure if you talked about this here on the podcast, but I mean, you're thinking about moving in a few years. Yeah. So I'm definitely going to, uh, when I leave this house, I, for the short term, I'm going to rent. But you know how I had said, you know, so renting makes a, a, a lot of sense when you're young. It makes incredible. It, it is the most important time to only rent when you're young. Like buying when you're young is a disaster. Then you have this this window where you have, a, if you're having a family, stability and ownership, I think are are very important. So, so I, 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 I want to stop you there. How do you how do you guys feel about? Yeah, that? I, 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 w- I, well, I was going to say. It, like if you were to go back again, would would you still want to live in like if you were to have kids again, like go back twenty years, would you have would you still buy a house or would you rent one? I would absolutely buy, and I'll tell you why. It it kind of forced me to not move my kids around away from their friends to different schools. You know, they, owning it, it kind of makes you more permanent, and so it gave my kids this foundation, this stability, where. They, it's hard enough being a kid and growing up in the world without having to, you know, meet new friends and go to new schools and, and have all these 
extra burdens put on you that maybe you know most kids don't i know i had the luxury of growing up i moved once and i found it a very traumatic experience i, I was quite i was in school but young and i was i was able to rebound but i've heard stories of kids moving like in grade 11 in high school and their parents moved them to another town could do you know how but uh, but what about like so so like i know you live in a like a small town uh, what about larger towns? Like, what if you were just moving? Like you said, you don't like the your neighbors. You, you're getting tired of the same problems. What if you were renting, but then you moved like down the road, or you moved partway across town, or something like that instead? And like, so you're not taking away. Like, they're still going to the same schools, same friends, and well, stuff. It, just live so on a different street. If uh, that's highly unlikely, like if if mo- I, I, in a small town, okay, there's there's just where I am. There's just the one high school, so. Chances are you're not, but you know, a kid's world's a lot smaller than, so So if you take like a, a 12 year old kid and you move across town, they used to be able to walk to their friend's house. Now they're going to rely on you to drive them there. It's it's not going to happen. And, and so as an adult, you may say, you know, I didn't move that far, but in a kid's, in a kid's world, any move is a big move. Like if you move to a new subdivision, there's a whole new group of kids there. Like it's, I think, you know, a child would view it differently than an, than an adult. So, so I, I think if I had to do again, I would absolutely buy a home because it, it, even if I wasn't a stable person, it would force somewhat, some stability on me to, to, to not move my kids around a lot. And the other thing is I know I've heard stories where people are renting a house and, and they get evicted maybe because the owner wants to sell the house or the owner wants to move into the house themselves and they're, they're, they're forced to find another place to live. Like it's tough moving with a young family. It, even, even if you're uh, moving just across the street t- to have a kid, you know, and again, I, I keep going back to kids cause, cause that's the main reason I, I bought a house and had the stability was, I know, was, uh, I know my mother used to always say uh, that, um, like when I was younger, like whatever would take you, like her five minutes to do on her own, took an hour, half a day to do, like with a kids. Like it's, it's like everything just feels that much longer, takes that much longer. Yeah. So, so back to my thing. So I would never buy as a young person for a whole host of reasons that I hope we get into. There's this middle window of my life where owning was the only in my mind, the only alternative. And now I'm reaching a point where I'm going to be retired or semi-retired. And I want some flexibility in my life and not, not, a, not tied to a, a location. I want some freedom to maybe, you know, see some culture and, and move around a bit. So, and, you know, if I think of anybody who I, I've known that I was close to that passed away, they, they, most of these people ended up in a retirement home or a nursing home. So it's not like you spend your dying days in a house so that that's not even a benefit in itself. So you, you tend to not need your house later in life. I, I, I do want to ask you though, Trevor, I mean, if you, if you look around, there's, there's condos. That, so that's kind of, I think when you, when you think of getting rid of your home and, and doing and moving into another option, I, renting is just so stigmatized that I feel like owning a condo or something or something along that lines is not is less of and i'm use word downgrade but just because renting is stigmatized as something young people can do or those who maybe are not financially as well off more of kind of it's a low income option sometimes it's viewed that way so 
So let me ask you guys, if you were to, if you had the option to rent in a condo building, you know, I, I know some condo buildings that there's units that people don't live in and they just rent them out. Are Why? we are we assuming in this case that uh, the landlord is paying condo fees or are we paying condo fees? Well, on top of the the rent. So if you're you're paying for the condo fees either in your rent or or on top of it, either way the the, the landlord's not going to do it at a loss. So just assume it's built into the cost of your rent. So so, would, so why wouldn't you choose to to rent a condo if you haven't already? I think I like I well are we assume like a condo is just kind of like a a fancier exactly um, it's a like fancy thing. so it, it like the, to me it's just a fancy apartment so it's nothing's changing with it, it like but that's you're, that's so what so anything you're it, paying more it goes back to my thing oh, ownership is an expensive indulgence right? and, and that's where so my question the comes condos from. they tend to be fancier and so it becomes a lifestyle decision so you could rent and, and you know some of these condo fees. I've seen in a, in a fancier buildings that they're more expensive. I've seen them six and seven hundred dollars a month. You know, for you know the run of the mill average building that that may be half a month's rent. Am, am I wrong? So, in, so we're, we're we're saying that like an apartment is just a a less fancy version of a condo. It's basically yeah, like what yeah, we're I saying do. here. Yeah, yeah, okay, okay. So so Trevor, I mean, you might be the exception to to being okay. You you've been a homeowner, you've had this home, and now you're going to rent so are, are you the exception to to being okay kind of quote-unquote downgrading what you're previously in or do you think that this is this happens do you think a lot of people feel the way you feel and and maybe our, maybe it's a question to our listeners too no i you know anytime i mention this to say people at work or friends they, they'll look at me like i i've you know I've, I've fallen in or i've taken a stroke or something like they, they think i've i've lost my mind and i'm having a bad day when i say the the concept of renting it, I, think, I wish I think every I wish everyone could read that book, The Wealthy Renter. It, it's it is such an eye opener. Because I think it goes back to the whole thing that people like they look at it and they're saying that they're gaining the equity in their house and whatnot, and like they're not thinking about all those extra fees, the property tax, and and like um like all the maintenance fees and stuff. So they're just assuming that hey, like I'm just throwing my money away if I'm renting versus like the buying. So I think that's why people always have that uh that look. But if you think about what you're, when you buy a house, you're, what you're signing up for is 25 years of debt repayment. You don't actually own the house. You know, you're, you've just rented money to, to live in this house. And, and if you stick to the plan 25 years from now, you'll own it. But it, I just, it, it is definitely a cult. It is a cult following home. Like I own a home. So I've been on both sides and I get the benefits of owning, but it's it's not, it, it's the so Trevor. It's not the investment people think it is. When when you first became a homeowner, where did did you want to be a homeowner yourself? Were you pressured because your parents believed? Like, why did you move from renting to owning? So when I was growing up, my family and the people I work with, they would say the first, these are the three questions I would get. I said, when are you buying a house? When are you getting married? And when are you having kids? And and getting married and having kids is is very, you know, important life events. Why people would throw owning a home in ex- the, that same, you know, they, they would ask you like, just like, when are you having kids? When are you getting married? When are you buying a house? Like those three questions. Those were the rites of passage into adulthood through the minds of, of the generation ahead of before me. 
not saying I'm agreeing with it, but I think it's because it's the biggest expense that people people make is like buying a house. It's it, it is a big expense. It's, it's not like you're paying for it all at once, right? Like when I went when I was paying rent, I, I had you know money leaving my wallet every month, and when I bought a house, I had, you know a similar amount of money leaving my wallet every month. So I I don't know that I I you know, went out, like, actually buying a car was more of a significant purchase. It required, you know, a, a larger sum of money at a, at a, at a one moment transaction than, than a, buying a house did. But I, I think when people are looking at buying houses, they're looking at the big figure, like, like the $400,000, like, figure, like, that. that's what they're thinking when, like, you buy a house is the biggest purchase. They're not thinking about the monthly payments. No, it's true, but I, I, I have trouble lumping it in is a, is a life changing moments like I, like I getting agree, married and having children. I, I'm I, just trying to understand this cult better. This, uh, yeah, you, you gotta you gotta be able to know your enemy. Like uh, you know what's that saying? Uh, keep be, your, be close keep, to your keep enemy. Your, keep, keep, keep your friends yeah close and your enemies yeah. closer. <laughs> yeah, yeah so I'm just trying to get in their heads here. I'm just trying to understand. I would love our listeners to call in and, or not call in. <laughs> I to, wish. To write, call in at call. Uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, yeah. seven, eight, nine. No, no, it's it's five, five, five. <laughs> no, I would. <laughs> I what would are we a radio show now? To write in and and tell me how wrong I am. You know, tell me where I'm missing it. Kick Trevor off his soapbox. So, so I just want to say. So, a lot of people say owning a house is an investment, and I'm saying. As long as you live in that house, as long as you reside in that dwelling, it is a house, not an investment. Investments, they provide a return, a cash flow. They're easily saleable. A house is none of that. As long but as you live in a house, it is not an investment. You know what's crazy is uh, the, like you, when, if you go to buy stocks, an investment, like no emotion put into it. Whereas when you go to buy a house, there's, there's a, a lot, lot of emotion. emotion. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. So uh, to your point, you can't really say it's an investment. You're putting so much emotion into it. But I, I want to go from that point there uh, and talk about in, in the book, they talked about opportunity cost. And I, I thought that was kind of interesting. And it's, uh, I don't know if you want to explain to Trevor or if I should. Uh, yes. So you just say you have, you have $500,000 and you've decided to uh, buy a house with it. Or you've saved, you know, over 25 years, you save $500,000 and you put it toward a mortgage. Anyway, you end up, at 25 years, you end up with a $500,000 house. Now, you you could have taken that $500,000 and bought an index fund or a dividend fund and use the, the returns off of that investment to pay rent for an apartment. So, the you know, and so the question is, does it does a index fund provide a better return than the appreciation of your home? So that that that's the opportunity cost. Is there some better? Could your money be doing better in another asset class? Okay, so I want to throw a hypothetical here then uh, on you. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about. Um, you remember our, our whole situation? You retiring three years early? Yeah. Okay. So it's all based on your house, you selling your house. Like that's part of your, you being able to afford to retire in three years, right? Downsizing my house. Down, okay. Yeah. So downsizing, like, so okay. So pulling you're, some equity you're, out you're, of my house. Yes. So, so you're going to pull equity out of the house. And um, so, so my question to you 
is say you could get a higher return on your your investment if you sold that house three years earlier and you took that money and you started investing in something in a high that re- returned a higher yield, um, yield would you not see those benefits like like maybe not right away not within the three years but like there you're taking all that money and you're starting to invest it sooner so right there are you not able to retire sooner like that that's my question i'm not saying it's a statement like a question like is that something you would do so here's the here's just the the general population's view on that so a house as an investment if in fact it is and i am doing air quotes is something people can see, feel, and touch, and and generally understand. It's, so, and it and it's valued in our society by by the cult, right? But yeah, no, no, but, but okay. So right now person, you're paying all. The average person maybe doesn't understand an index fund at the same level, and they certainly can't feel and touch it, and it's not valued by society equally. So. And it seems more volatile. So, so people generally don't do what you're describing. Okay, be- okay, but let, let's put society aside. Like, I, I'm going to re reword the question here. So, right now, you're you're putting opportunity cost into that house. Like, you're you're like there's every, there's every money you're I not s- making there. Every day I you stay, stay here. there. Yeah. So, my question to you and your your goal to stay like to to retire three years earlier than your 55 date is. If you sold your house now and you have all that opportunity cost you're not spending anymore and instead you're investing that into the, the, the stock market, would you do that in order to be able to retire or is that feasible? As you would imagine, I have a spreadsheet no. with, just that, with just that information in it and I stare at it uh, often. And, and I, I, what I've done is I've actually gone back and I said, you know, it, I, I kind of track what real estate values are in my town in particular in my neighborhood with regularity and, and I keep a spreadsheet you know what I think my house was worth over the years and I kind of I, I every every quarter I if I see a house similar to mine for sale I'll make a note in my spreadsheet of what that house what they were asking for it I, I may not know what they sold it for and I, I also can get historical uh, market returns right so I, I could see how that money would have performed had I did what Michael just described. And generally speaking, when, when, you, when you subtract off taxes, insurance, and maintenance of the home, the investment does better. You know, the market does better than my house has been doing. So I've been actually taking a loss staying here based on the scenario Michael described. So, so then why aren't you moving out sooner? Like why, like, like we're talking about retirement early here. We're talking about like retirement at 52. Like, so why, why aren't, why aren't we doing it sooner? Like I'm, I'm, I'm trying to figure that out now. So, so I've had a few crutches I've been, been able to lean on over the last little while. So one is I had a, a dog that's recently passed away, but I, I'm not about to move my dog into a depart into an, uh, an apartment. You know, the dog grew up with a backyard to run around in and I wasn't going to take that away from her. And I, I, of my three kids, I still have one kid that still comes home in the summers. She's in school still. So I, in, in an effort to give my, my children a stable home to grow up in, I, I, I'm continuing with that mindset. You know, I'd, I, I don't think I could take that away from any of my kids until they're, they're fully launched. So I'm still in a house for the same reason I got in it in the first place, if that makes sense. Fair enough. But I do have a spreadsheet 
doing what you've described, it still continues to be favorable, uh, regardless of, you know, even if I go back to the Great Recession of 2007, 2008, and, and that is even built into the numbers over the years, and, and it still performs better than my, and again, I don't live in, in Canada's most expensive real estate cities, so I, I don't see the, the dramatic uh gains that you might be seeing in Toronto, Vancouver. So I'm not seeing, so my, my town, the, the real estate doesn't move as quick as, as it maybe does across the average for the country. I want to throw a question at you too. And, and, and let me know what you think. So other than the whole, maybe Canada, listed Canada reading the wealthy renter, what do you think is, is going to, it's going to take to kind of transition everyone to even seeing the benefits of, of, of renting as opposed to home ownership? Well, I think what it's going to take is, so I, I described back when I was buying a house, it was a very elite elite club because the cost of carrying a mortgage was so high. So there, the, the government is starting to tighten up on, you know, who can qualify for a mortgage. You know, they're making it harder and harder. But I think an increase in interest rates will, will put enough people out of the housing market meaning they just can't not afford to carry the cost of the house that um, th- that's going to make renting you know the the average person will be will rent because home ownership becomes unattainable so as soon as the average guy can't rent uh, can't buy renting will lose its will eventually lose its stigmatism that's it's an opinion right i don't know that for a fact but i i could see that happening Actually, renting was so popular when I was renting that they, they, they were in Ontario, they had rent controls and it was limiting how much a landlord could increase your rent and be, because a lot of people rented. It was, it was it, I mean... Supply and demand. So I, I've made a little list here of, of some of the benefits of owning, which I think are worth talking about or, or if you guys want to poke holes in So that. wait, do you, do you wholeheartedly believe in your list or you've kind of put together just some theoretical... Uh, theoretical pros that others might empathize with. No, no, these are things I believe. And, and, and I'd be interested to see if you guys could see any flaws in them. So the first one I talked about, owning creates a solid foundation to raise a family. That one, I, I don't I don't think you could argue I, with. I think we've uh, beat a bet, a dead... <laughs> yeah. I think we've beat, a, <laughs> beat that to death, eh? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So here's another one that I got out of the Wealthy Renter, the book. So signing up for a 25-year debt repayment plan is a great way to create forced savings that you might not have had the discipline to do otherwise. Because that's really what home equity is, is it's you paying the bank back all that money and it's kind of, it represents forced, uh, forced savings because if you don't pay it back, they take your house. And so it, it builds wealth in the form of saving money that people might not have the discipline to do otherwise. But what, are so you're, you're saying that like, you're, so you're for the idea of, of having a mortgage so that you, it's forced, you're forcing yourself to save? Well, this, these are the benefits of homeownership. I'm not saying, oh, okay. I, I'm not you're saying, not saying you, I don't lack, I don't lack the discipline to save. Yeah. But some people do. I think there's there's way like the companies work with you to to come up with other ways, and I know in that book they talk about um uh, the idea that you could do um actually might not have that book um uh, but so I I know there's other ways you can do that where like um 
like you, you can your your company you can set up like um, automatic savings plans. Uh, yeah, automatic savings plans. Yeah, yeah. So then that way you don't have to worry about that, and well, it's like, already taken care of. So here's one of the flaws like, t- to this one, and it's called the home equity line of credit. Uh, you guys might have heard of that. That's where you borrow money against the equity in your home to do renovations or improvements. So even though you're doing this forced savings, you could be drawing the money out at the other end. So, so it, it, that that's a flaw. But but for generally speaking, I would say most people wouldn't amass the uh, the wealth they have if they didn't have the forced savings of a debt repayment of a mortgage. Would you agree? Or, I don't know. Maybe I'm underestimating. I, I think there's other, like, the I think, well, the government's trying to help as well. Like, I think there's ways, like, with RRSPs and, like, oh, no, they're, companies. They're, like, I, I think there's ways you can do it. Like, but, I think but, you, but, like, but would you be motivated? There's ways to do it for sure. But would you be motivated? See, I, I doing tend to think mortgage, so. Because, I mean. People feel like they're getting something back for their money. They're getting the house when, really, they're just paying back the money, right? But, I, I'd like to argue that I think the motivation could be an early retirement. The motivation could be uh, financial independence. I I mean, I mean, not financial independence, but but retiring, I guess, yeah, retiring early. That's what we talk about in this podcast, but I think we're a pretty small cross-section of the population based on, you know, some of the the things you read in the news. People People are generally spend every penny they make and then some. So like the comp like companies take money out of your RR like take take money off your income to put into an RRSP account, and uh, you can't touch that, right? Like no, that's true. Uh, that's true. So so like I mean like doing that like are you you're seeing the same thing? You're seeing wealth grow. So I I think you would be you're getting the same effect. You're getting the same feeling that you're you're gaining money for the future. So and so going back to home ownership maybe as an ego thing where. You know, at least people can see what I what I bought with my money. I can display my wealth, whereas it, it's pretty hard to display your RSP. That's true. That's true. Yeah, the only person who just sees your is, your, is your bank you. statement is you. Yeah. 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 So I, I just think that societally, I think this is a benefit that uh, for some people, it's the only way they're going to build wealth. So again, back to the benefits of ho- owning a home. I think I have the self-discipline. I think you guys probably do too, but I think a lot of people don't. So this is going to be a benefit of home Well, you say a lot, but I'm sure a lot of our listeners have that same. That's Our listeners, our listeners do, but yeah. I think the population as a whole Oh yeah, maybe like Yeah, no, no, that's a good point. And so here's one more, and this is one I, I adamantly disagree with, but it's a benefit of homeownership. You, you have the freedom to customize the living space to suit your needs. And this is a slippery slope where we did an episode on home improvements and, and people think, you know, I put a new kitchen in my house, you know, I spent $40,000 on a new kitchen. My house is now worth $40,000 more. Let's just say that's possible. It's not, but just say you but could. How much did you spend on? No, no, but you spent $40,000. And so now, yeah, you, yeah, so you, now your house is worth $40,000 more. So, so yeah, net you're, you're zero. There. Yeah, exactly. Like, so, yeah, yeah. So that to me that's a lifestyle expense, right? You've just you just spent money on on a upgraded kitchen that probably cooks meals just the same as it used to. So so but it looks nicer. But but the, the owning a home gives you the freedom to customize your home as you want. So you're you're not likely going to customize an apartment with a granite granite countertop although your landlord probably would let you <laughs> if you wanted to. I I just don't think um people are going to sign up for that. Would you agree or 
I, I agree 100% with that. Yeah. I, I, if anything, it's it kind of like you said, it, in the opposite sense, for savings with the, the house, if, if you're renting, uh, it's forcing you not to renovate and it's forcing you not to um, to have that expense. Well, and here's, here's, so here's another example where, so my brother, um, he had uh, uh, elderly in-laws living in his house and he had to modify his house to have one of those, I don't know if you've ever seen them, it's a, it's a chair that rides up along your stairs for people that can't walk on stairs. Oh yeah. Have you ever seen one? So he had one of those installed in his house. So if he was renting, I don't think they would let you install one of those or, or they wouldn't pay for it. At the very least, they probably wouldn't even let you do it. So that that's a case where it's not a home improvement, but he was able to customize his home f- to suit the the dis- disabilities of the people living in it, which which is. But now, if if you were renting that situation, could you not just you know jump like pack your stuff up and then go find a place that it's suitable? Like 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 for for that place, they, they were kind of stuck with that house because they had the mortgage and like you know they couldn't afford all the the commissions and all that. Yeah. So could you, could they not just jump up and say, let's find a house that works. Let's find like, a bungalow. Like move to a rent, uh, an apartment that has an elevator. And, and yeah, yeah, with exactly. only, yeah, only yeah. one level. Yeah. So that's a good point. So if you're renting and you have stairs and all of a sudden you have a disabled person and you stairs are, are going to be a problem. You're right. You could move to a place that doesn't and, have stairs. And to so. that point, you almost can customize, customize, you your where you live and don't forget customize your home customize where you live if you if you need a bigger kitchen if you need an extra room if you need if you need anything just get up pick up and and, and move to and customize your living space that way yeah that's true that's true yeah so you can you can customize it by relocating because i think one of the it's just something that that suits your needs at, at that particular point because i think a lot of the big it's, it's the one time in your life where it's acceptable to run away from your problems <laughs> <laughs> yeah true true because i think a lot of the times so, we may buy too much house in anticipation of how much house we'll oh. really need and this way you can just kind of add on rooms as you need them no 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 not some of the times all of the time <laughs> all people buy i was gonna say more that's house. why people like you always hear young families saying they're gonna buy a house because they need to to get ready for their their family and stuff it's I have neighbors, they moved in, there was, it's a, it's a, I'll say a, almost a 3,000 square foot home, but right next door to me, uh, just a couple moved in, no kids, great big house. Now, now they're having kids now, but I know there's, there's more bedrooms than there's kids still. So, uh, and I, I, I haven't asked them what their family plans are, but. I, yeah, you haven't interrogated they, them about their. <laughs> no, they have a lot of house for, for the number of people that live in it. Well, look at my house. I, I have. Three bathrooms, two people, <laughs> you know, and, and like, it's crazy. Like I have way more house than I need. So it, it's not sometimes I think people always buy more house than they need. And if I, you know, if I look at uh, back in the seventies, if I look at houses in subdivisions that were built in the seventies, those houses are like under maybe a thousand square feet tops, you know, and, and whole families were raised in those houses in the seventies whole families and families were bigger than like people had three and four kids now i drive through a a new subdivision and, and you're hard pressed to see a house under three thousand square feet and the families are getting smaller like they're just two, two is a big family now so i just think people's uh space needs are very distorted so here's my last one in benefits of owning a home and is you could transition your home to be a productive asset in that you could 
turn it into a rental property or use it as an Airbnb. So once you own it, it could become an income producing property, you know, given the right location and everything else. Um, do you see that as a, and then, then you would rent, right? You wouldn't live in it. You would just be something that generates income. I think you, you gotta, like, that's, now you're the landlord. Like, I, I think you gotta ask yourself if, if that's a, a stress and a burden you want to put on yourself. Do you want like, those You're headaches. making money off it. Yeah. Do, yeah. do you want those headaches? It's a very kind of unique yeah. situation. Like, you can't stand back and apply that to everyone. You have to be very entrepreneurial. You have to, you have to kind of want that. Well, and I think you need to have a, a, a location would be important for uh, an Airbnb, for instance. I mean, you're not going to Airbnb in the middle of nowhere, right? It's It's got to be uh, either a, a vacation destination or, or a, you know, downtown in a major city to, to really... I might be wrong. I, I haven't done a lot of Airbnb, but uh, that could be a benefit of owning is you could, you know, once you own it and if you can derive income from it, it, it kind of it becomes just gravy, like just cash cash flow, right? It's, there's no, well, there is some expense going out. You've still got the maintenance and whatnot. It's not for me. I have no interest in being a landlord, but I, I just kind of, things that came to my mind about some of the benefits of owning, because th- there's a lot of downsides to owning. So I thought it would be fair to mention a few of those. I do have a question. And uh, this this is to, to you guys, but to for any of our listeners maybe who, want to pursue the renting route who are farther along their life. I mean, I think it's acceptable, like we were saying, to be young and to rent. But what do we have have some older listeners, maybe your age, Trevor, who maybe aren't comfortable with the idea or, or, or maybe feel embarrassed of the idea because of how stigmatized it was. I mean, Trevor, you used to talk about how how your coworkers used to look at you so strange when you told them that you didn't have cable back when that wasn't socially acceptable. Yeah, but I think renting, like nobody can drive by my house and see I don't have cable, right? They, I, Unless I told them, they wouldn't know. But if, if they see me pulling into an apartment building, they might think I'm there because I can't afford to own. Exactly, right? exactly. So what advice do you have for our listeners who who maybe who maybe are warming up to the idea still, but, but maybe, yeah, may feel embarrassed by their circumstances or are afraid of what other people might assume? Well, I think, you know, if I'm going to rent, it's going to, I'm going to move to a new city to do it. Do you know what I mean? I, I'm going to move to a, a different place for, for not because I, I, I'm embarrassed that, you know, I've become a renter and people will think I can't afford to own. It's because I want to get the benefits of, of the, um, the flexibility to, to relocate and, and experience different areas of the country. So, so for me that it would be too costly to, um, buy and sell with the frequency which with with which I hope to move. It, it would the the cost of of all the the transaction costs of real estate commission, legal fees, land transfer tax, all those things would just be. Uh, you would just lose your shirt doing that over and over. So I'm going to rent, but I think if you can give yourself a reason, and, and not if you're doing it to save money, you kind of feel like you, you might feel like you failed in life. But if you're doing it for a different reason, like I want, I, I want to experience life in a different way for a period of time, then maybe it's a little easier to digest. Or you want flexibility. I think another thing to with that whole stigma thing is, um, 
all those people who are buying they're going to be living like in a city say like they're going to be living all in the suburbs like there's not many people who can afford to live right downtown say or right like where i say downtown because i consider that the hot spot myself but like wherever you consider the hot spot chances are no people won't be able to to buy houses there. you're gonna have to rent like um I think that's a big, big advantage. So like people aren't going to be looking at you saying, Oh wow, poor you, like you're, you're renting. Like they're going to look and say like, that's pretty awesome where you're living. Like, well, I know what, uh, if, if you look at say downtown Ottawa, our capital city here, and you go along the Rideau canal, anything along there, if you wanted to buy a property that, that could, that you can see the Rideau canal, it, it is astronomically expensive. Like, I mean, it is just, uh, it, it, they're million dollar properties, but you can rent, right beside that for, for a very reasonable price. So to Mike's point, l- renting can put you in locations you could not afford to buy. It, it, so it would give you that experience. If you wanted to experience the downtown core of a major city, you might only be able to do that through renting. So that, that's a really good point. I like that. I thought of my question. So I, I want to kind of be devil's advocate and throw out, is it always possible to rent? So... Trevor, you're living in a small town. I'm sure the renting opportunities and maybe the quality of renting opportunities are not going to be maybe as plentiful or as as to as the level of quality that might be in a big city. In a big city, you have they're used to it. There, that's how things operate. You have kind of companies who are dedicated to to maintaining to maintaining properties, rental properties. So you've got this like company as a landlord. So that's it's that we're set up, I think, in bigger cities to accommodate that more. So. What advice or, or, or what, what do you what do you say to kind of the individual in a maybe a smaller town where we're renting renting is maybe not as as easy or as or as feasible maybe as in a larger city? No, that is a valid point. So when if you're if you're living in an area where real estate prices are relatively low uh, or, or or very affordable, the rental opportunities are almost nil. So in my town, there there's absolutely nowhere I would rent because all the rental properties in this town are, and I, I hate to be judgmental, but they're, they're low-income rental units. And, and there's two things. I don't want to take away a rental unit for somebody who really needs that low-cost living space. And it, it's just, it, there are so few rental opportunities in, in my town. I, I, it would just they just don't exist so it's that that is a really good point so okay so like uh let's let's play this along a bit farther i I just want to so we've had people come to where i work be you know uh they've relocated they want they want to work in uh where i do in this small town so they've relocated from a city and they get here and they are they when they come here they they rent a hotel for until they find a place to live and everybody that's ever relocated here, they always end up, you know, renting an hour away from here because they cannot find a rental property in this town. So, uh, actually, I've seen people live that what you've described, Courtney. So, does that mean that is it, 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 does that come down to it then? I mean, you picked you picked to live in the small town that you live in just because it was it was more affordable for as opposed to a daycare. If any of our listeners were around for that episode, Trevor made that decision. So are you saying then that you maybe you should live in a spot where renting is possible or or make do with this with, with your circumstances even if that involves owning? Well, crazy enough to Mike's point, 
if you wanted to in a major city in order to live downtown you, most people would have to rent in if you wanted to rent you'd have to actually have to commute an hour to to get a decent rental unit so it's just the opposite problem here so so like let's say cuz you said you you want to keep uh renting and you, you want to kind of just jump from place to place every once in a while so what if you reached a point where um like like you say you live in a couple of cities and then all of a sudden you want to live in a smaller place again are you going to go through the like the hassle of buying and owning again or are you going to try to find like to rent like what would you do in that situation yeah i don't it, it, i i so if if this is the town i wanted to come back to i i really don't think that anything's going to change and i don't think i'm going to find a rental unit i would be happy with so if i really decided this is a place i wanted to be a buying would would really be the only option for me. But but in that case, would you ever go back to the small town? Just like, would you advise a person to avoid living a small town just so they wouldn't have to own and so they could rent? And that 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 may be the the deterrent that never brings me back to a small town. You know, and I, I've spent I, I've spent twenty years in a small town. I I think once I get a taste of some city life, I might I might want to stay there. I, I got a feeling I'm gonna like it. So I I I. I I don't think it's going to be a, a, a problem I wrestle with because I, I don't I don't see me coming back. So in some ways, small towns are kind of for ownership. Like like uh, well, like we were kind of saying like. Well, they're one dimensional. I don't know if they're for ownership, but they 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 they're they're very one dimensional in that they're you know landlords just there's no money to be made here as a landlord. So I I think it's about time that we kind of move on to our listener questions that I brought up earlier. Um, any final thoughts on our renting episode? I mean, we'll do a final wrap up, but, um, anything else before we move on? If you're mis, you know, if you feel bad about renting or you think maybe it's a bad decision, uh, I read the book, the wealthy renter. It is such a great book. What, Mike, would you put that as one of the best personal finance books you've read? I agree. It, it uh, it was very eye opening and uh, a lot of good points. Like I, I, I read the first part, read the end and it's kind of interesting. It just, kind of it, it explains to you the whole benefits of renting but then it also explains to you why the markets are the way they are like why toronto is so high in uh price right now and why vancouver is and and what's going to cause them to change so even if, even if you like if you're like i i don't want to rent and you're you're pretty sure you want to buy a home i think it's just a great book to to read just to understand buying a house as well and the author he is a homeowner himself so he's not a renter he actually owns a home and, and he he's Canadian so it's a very relevant book and and he makes the point in it and uh, I really 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 respect him for this is he, he flat out tells you right at the beginning I'm not here to knock home ownership uh, I just want you to be aware of the benefits of renting and and he keeps it very uh, open to the both things like he just wants you to like he basically says knowledge is power and just before you go and make a mistake uh, or make a decision just make sure you have all your your information lined up so we will have all the we mentioned two books during this episode so i'm going to stick those in the show notes so you can check those out yourself and 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 read up and, and let us if you have read these books too send us a message let us know what you thought of them let, let i mean it seems like mike they changed your world so let us know if they changed your world just as much um but now and you know i there, i i want to mention one more thing <laughs> one more just one more it, and I mentioned Jim Collins in the book, uh, The Simple Path to Wealth. He has a blog post that is, it is insightful and, and extremely humorous. 
and it's why your house is a terrible investment. And I, I leave a link in the show notes. And once you read this, you would, um, so this is the guy that said home ownership is a very expensive indulgence. So I'm going to leave this thing. So it's titled why your house is a terrible investment by Jim Collins. And he kind of runs through some things that if you think your house is an investment, it, Think again, because it, it really isn't. It is a place to live, not an investment. So, What were uh, some of the highlights, the main uh, arguments in the book? It should be expensive to own. Let's make sure this investment requires endless parades of repairs and maintenance without which it will crumble into dust. So he's saying, in, in a sort of a sarcastic way, other investments don't require that. Or it should be something that locks its owner into one geographical area and limits their options and keeps them docile for their employers. So, so if it's an investment and you're, you're locked into one ge- geographical place, you've got this mortgage, you've got to pay it back. You're kind of at the mercy of your employer to do a, you know, to keep your job. So, or, I know I, or here's another, it should be fragile and easily damaged by weather, fire and vandalism. True. And the like, <laughs> Now we can add on expensive insurance to cover these risks. Make sure, of course, that the bad things that are most likely to happen aren't actually covered. <laughs> Don't worry, we'll we'll bury that in the fine print. So, I like that. So he kind of sarcastically, you know, describes uh, how what what a bad investment would look like if it were a house. Because I was going to say, even once you do fully own your house, you're still paying rent. Like without, um, w- without paying for your house insurance and like your your utilities and uh, like all the maintenance fees, your house becomes useless. Like it, 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 your investment is no longer like useful. Like you're forever always paying like those costs and stuff. Here's one more. It, it should be unproductive. While we're Talking about interest, let's be sure this investment we're creating never pays any, no dividends either. So, I like you know, that. In the, in the traditional definition of an investment, a house really doesn't fit under that umbrella. No, it's it's true. It's really, really true. And I, I think okay, that's a lot. That is the last time I need to interrupt you. <laughs> All right, we're gonna jump over. We have a bunch of uh, listener listener comments here. Uh, if you have anything you want to share with us, head over to livelifesimple.ca. There's a contact us, um, a tab on our website. Write us all your thoughts and we'd love to share it with uh, with everyone else on the podcast. So this first one is from, sorry, this first one was from Steve and this one is actually about um, a mortgage. So I'll read it. He, he says, interesting idea on looking at setting up your first year your first mortgage to be 15 years in length so we did a 15 year mortgage episode so that's where this uh this comment is coming from uh he says curious on how you think retirement savings versus mortgage payments should be organized is it always beneficial to make rsp contributions if employers are matching or could it be smarter to ramp up mortgage payments thanks steve so we kind of talked about this in, the, in that 15 year mortgage episode and so one of the, I, I said to, to be a, a candidate for a 15 year mortgage, three things had to be present. One is you don't live in one of Canada's most expensive real estate cities. Two is you have some form of workplace uh, retirement in 
pension or employer match, some sort of retirement plan in place. And, and three is you have some sort of desire to be financially independent early in life. So if those things are present, you're a candidate. Now, Steve's question is, you know, are you better to save for retirement or pay off your mortgage? I think getting debt out of your life psychologically changes how you view money. And so the sooner you can get debt out of your life, the sooner you will you, you will view money differently. And the concept of, of ever debt ever entering your life again will be so foreign that the benefits of doing that, to me, far outweigh you know, splitting your time between paying off your mortgage and saving retirement. So I, I'm a fan, and it, it's worked for me. Get the debt out of your life first. All right. But but if you have a, a an employer matching, you know, where if you make a contribution to your pension and your employer matches, you have to take advantage of that. You can't leave that money on the table. So I, that, that's the one caveat. All right, next question. So this one is from Thiv. Thiv, I hope I'm saying your name right, but um, the con- the write-in is, hi there, been an avid listener of your podcast and lovely device you both provide. I was just wondering if you guys had some insight on the Bitcoin movement or podcast slash resources to learn more about this topic. I've been hearing a lot about it recently and I'm looking to learn more, but not sure what is valid information slash non-confusing information. Thanks and keep up the great work, Thiv. So I'm fascinated by cryptocurrency in general and Bitcoin being the most popular one. And there's a fabulous uh, Netflix documentary. And I say fabulous in that it's entertaining. I was as confused about Bitcoin before I watched it as I was after. So it didn't actually clear anything up. Uh, There's a couple of articles I read, uh, one by Mr. Money Mustache. And there's another one, I can't think of the title, but we're going to have links in the show notes. I found this interesting, but... I think cryptocurrency is at its infancy and it's still a very, when it finally takes hold and people actually use it as a, as a form of currency mainstream, it will look nothing like it looks today. I'm certain of that because it's just, there's so many black holes and uncertainty around how it works and people's understanding differs. So I know in that Netflix, um, uh, thing that you, uh, I watched it as well, and I thought it was really interesting. Like the whole, they broke down the concept of why cryptocurrency is so much better than the regular currencies we're dealing with, and the idea is actually like really, really good. Like it's it's got a chance to make the world a better place. I agree with that. Well, I think it's gonna, you know, on a smaller scale. If you think of like Uber or Lyft, those or Airbnb, where it's it's a complete user based system. You know, it, it kind of takes the middleman or the central controlling force out of it, right? It's a, it, it gives complete transparency yeah, to it. Yeah, so that's where I think the legs are on, on, on cryptocurrency and Bitcoin in particular. So I, I certainly wouldn't invest any money in it just yet, but it, it's definitely um, something that, that's it's going to be something. I just don't know when. So uh, thank you to Steve and Thiv for your uh, for your comments. We we, appre- we appreciate reading reading them and sharing them as well and talking about them. They're always so insightful and and, and really make us think about things maybe we wouldn't have uh, thought of otherwise. 
Um, and we also have some more listener questions or, or comments for our last week's episode on frugal life hacks. So unfortunately, we didn't have time to read any of our listener write-ins on that episode just because it, it ran a little bit long, which was awesome. But we um we 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 have uh, one in particular. I mean, we we seem to get a a lot. Everyone was kind of on the same idea, same track as we were, which is awesome. But we do have one that we want to highlight. It's from Nathan. I'm gonna read it. It's uh it's 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 uh, it's great because it's uh it kind of benefits not just uh, your wallet but uh, your health as well. So Nathan says, "Hi guys, I'm a big fan of the show. I have a slightly different frugal life hack that I have to share for the upcoming show. Last summer, I wanted to transition to a healthier diet by reducing my processed food and sugar intake. Up to this point, I would usually eat a bowl or two of cereal for breakfast." To achieve my goal, I swapped out cereal cereal for one bowl of oatmeal with plain yogurt and fruit. This and a couple other mindful eating changes helped me lose over 30 pounds last year alone. Congratulations, Nathan, by the way. Um, This may not seem like a financial win on the surface, but it actually turned out to be. I track my spending each month and I estimate that it would cost me an average of $43 per month for cereal and milk. My new breakfast cost me an average of $18 per month for oats, plain yogurt, and fruit, saving me $26 each month. While some may scoff this amount, these savings will accrue on compound and will likely expand my lifespan, extend my lifespan as well. You know, I would actually uh, pay a premium for a healthy lifestyle. So the fact that Nathan's able to save money doing this is fabulous. But you know, there's a, there's a hidden savings in here that he's not he didn't mention. Is and I see this where I work is people will. They will lose a whole bunch of weight and they'll buy a whole new wardrobe of clothes and then they'll eventually gain all that weight back. And the thing is, when you're gaining weight back, you you replace your wardrobe a little bit at a time, but you end up with all these, because uh, you got rid of all your fat clothes, right? <laughs> no sense keeping those. And and then you you gain that weight back and then you're you're buying more clothes again. So just on things like if you can get a healthy lifestyle in place in in a very controlled weight, you I've been wearing the same jeans for five years, and it's they're starting to wear out, but they're not gonna I'm not gonna outgrow them. So I think that there's a, there's a lot of savings in a healthy lifestyle, and I'm just describing clothes as one of them. Oh, I, that's an excellent frugal life hack. Um, and one other honorable mention, um, and thanks to everyone else who wrote in. We, we really appreciate it. There's a lot of great comments, but, um, we have one from Dolores and this one was definitely an interesting, uh, interesting life hack. Yeah. So we won't get into the, to the, uh, the frugal life hack cause I don't know if it really meets the definition of a frugal life hack completely. It's, it's, it's kind of maybe a little below board. I, well, I, one thing I do appreciate Dolores is your, your enthusiasm to save money or or to stretch your your dollar, I don't know if I completely. This is this is like a teaser. You're yeah, not going to tell I know, us. I can't. I can't. I can't. Come on. Come on. Come no, on. No, oh, no. Big letdown. Because Dolores just mentioned she's a big fan of the show and she's she's a regular listener. So, but, but I, I I appreciate your enthusiasm. I don't know if I completely think it. Where does it relate to? It meets. Are we the talking definition of a frugal life hack? Is it, that's that's where I'll just leave it. it it's not going to meet the, my definition. It's lack. What, what what area is is it related to work? Is it related to like their house? Is it what, what is it related to? Give us a little. I'll like, say a little it's, like it's similar to Nathan's in this. It's a food savings. 
A food savings. Yeah, okay, that, okay. That's... I, I can sleep tonight now. Okay. I, I'm, I'm good. I, uh, <laughs> her beginning was really nice. So she says, my grand- grandchildren showed me this podcast to help me get saving for retirement. I must say, I love all of you, especially Trevor. All those honorable mentions for Trevor. Um, so yeah, no, uh, thank you to everyone who was, uh, wrote in to us. We, uh, we, we, we love, we love reading your messages. It's, it's, uh, it, and it's, it's great because it, it, we built a community together and, and we love it. Thank you so much for everyone for being here with us today and joining us on our episode of renting. It's been great to have you along. We will see you right back here next week with a new show. And until then, keep it simple. <laughs>